we just celebrate that? Pastor Greg, what are the odds that we could get inflatable kangaroos and koalas in here on Sunday morning? Pretty high? I think we can make it happen. Oh, man. Uh, if you didn't see, last week we got to celebrate the opening of our kids' building. And uh, we just want to say thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, because of your giving and your generosity, we were able to do that. And yesterday, was, or not yesterday, last week was just the culmination of so many people's hard work, and we got to celebrate that. So if you haven't had a chance to go look at it, please do. It is it is really, really something and uh, for the next generation to just enjoy because of what you guys have done here. It's so awesome. And, man, that video makes me want to put the hair down and just start headbanging. That's what it made me want to do. So maybe third service. Inconceivable. Maybe that's the third service crowd will maybe. do that. Um, but I am Brent. If you don't know me, I'm our group's pastor here. This is Tyler. He's our youth pastor. Um, and we have just a couple of announcements for you this week. Uh, first one is that this is the week of the Operation Christmas Child pickup. So if you filled those boxes, uh, bring them in. If you brought them in today, fantastic. But through Thursday this week, you can bring them in the office if you forgot the this morning or if you haven't done it yet this is the week to turn those in so we can box them up and send them out it's going to be awesome also i have good news and bad news so what do you want first okay i'll give you the good news first we are doing christmas lights this year but the bad news is we're not doing the uh show like we normally do uh, we have decided this year to just put some up uh, because we want to take a break and repair everything that needs fixed. And then the team that does that, they want to uh, recalibrate everything, and they want to see how they can incorporate the new building into the show. And so um, this coming Saturday is our all-church decoration. So it's going to be inside and outside on Saturday at 9 a.m. We are going to be putting up Christmas lights. We're going to be uh, decorating in here in the foyer and the rest of the buildings. And so we want to invite you to that. We don't expect it to take super long, um, but if you are willing, uh, please come and join us on Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. And you know, it's like a Charlie Brown Christmas. The tree isn't as magnificent maybe, but it means more. The spirit of Christmas is still there. Yes. So it's with that same spirit that we're just going to yes. do as much as we can with the lights this year. Twinkling It'll be glorious. Lights. Yes. It'll be glorious. Uh, something else to bring to our attention is that next Sunday, a week from today, the 19th, we are having our worship and prayer night. It's going to be awesome. We are super excited. If you've never been to one before here, uh, it is an awesome place just for us to get together and glorify our Father, our Savior in worship uh, un in a way unlike what we can do on a Sunday morning. It's just so much more in-depth, and, and it's, it's incredible. That's going to be happening next Sunday at 5 p.m. We would love to invite you out and make sure if you want to get a good spot come in early because we invite all the services to come and it can get a little bit packed but we're so looking forward to it. it's going to be fantastic and we'd love to have you join us also yesterday we got to celebrate veterans day and it's not just a day off or anything like that but it, it is a very important moment in our in our history and um, our culture so if you could just take a little moment and watch the video
Yeah, yeah, amen. Amen. It would, uh, it would really be impossible to say enough thanks to those who have willingly in our country chosen to serve as veterans. I think it's great that Veterans Day comes right before Thanksgiving because it puts us in mind of how much we have to be thankful for. And so this morning, I know that they don't want to, but I'm going to ask, we want you to, all of us who are veterans, would you stand up for a moment so we can honor you? Somebody's got to go first. Would you please do that? Yeah. 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 That is a big deal, and every Veterans Day I remember what Jesus said to a Roman soldier, someone who was serving as a veteran. Even though he was from another country, Jesus said, I have not found such great faith in all Israel as yours. And so that's a beautiful thing. It is a calling to serve, and we thank all of you who have. And, and also this morning, my heart is full for our veterans who are serving right now. We live in dangerous times and they're overseas and we ask them very often to do things that are that are awful to fight there's no fun in that and the pay the price of doing that and so for us to pray for them uh, that that's the right thing for us to do would you bow your heads with me this morning and let's do that god we thank you this morning for all those who have willingly served our country we are surrounded by veterans and their contributions, you know, they, they, they're the backbone of our country. We thank you for their faithfulness and their willingness. We remember, Lord, your faithfulness. You fought the greatest battle of all. You went to the cross, Lord, and won the greatest war of all. We rejoice in that. And, and we think of those, Lord, who now, today, are far from their families, who are serving around the world, who are doing the work that needs to be done. And again, they've chosen that. They volunteered. God, and sometimes they have to do hard and awful things. And I, I think of Israeli soldiers this morning, and I feel grief for what they have to do, God. And, and so many others, we pray that you would touch them in the way that only you can, that you would carry them, that you would speak to their hearts. We ask your blessing on them as we give thanks for them. And we pray that this morning on Veterans Day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, big deal. If if you know of a veteran, take a moment in your life to say thank you to them. It's meaningful. They're going to blow it off, but it really does touch the hearts at least. Great to be with you. Welcome to Second Service this morning. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. I feel like I have to give a disclaimer right here at the beginning before we open God's Word today because a whole bunch of my Husky friends have come up to me this morning and they looked at my pants and they say, Pastor Greg, you look good in purple. So the disclaimer is that I want you to know that these are not purple pants. It said clearly on the display, wine-colored pants, all right? So don't tell me I'm wearing purple because I'm not actually. But anyway, no, silly stuff, silly stuff. But great to be with you, church. We are, we are loved. God wants us to call him our Father. And how could we ever give enough thanks for that? 
This morning, we're going to continue our journey through Luke's Gospel. So if you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 19. This is our road trip. We've spent the whole year doing this. And remember, we said we were going to go do this, take this road trip through Luke's Gospel together in this year. Because Jesus said there would be lots of false prophets preaching a fake Jesus. They'd use his name, but it's not really him. It's what we call today a deep fake. And Jesus said we should watch out for that. We should be careful about that. We should discern that. And fortunately, it's easy to do that. We pay attention to the real Jesus. We can always recognize the fake one. So we've been going through Luke's gospel together in order to do that. This morning, we find ourselves in chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. And let me begin by asking you this. I'm sure I know the answer. Have you ever wondered why the Son of God spends so much time telling stories? I mean, you think about it. God incarnates as a human being, that's the Christmas story, he becomes one of us, Emmanuel, walks among us, and spends a lot of time, some would even say most of his time, traveling around telling stories. We call them parables, but they're stories. Why does he do that? It's a question I asked when I was a young believer. I would have expected him to be doing something else. But he seems to think that this is the most important thing to do with his time. It puts me in mind of something Garrison Keillor, one of the great storytellers of our time, said. He said, prophecy, that is speaking forth God's word in kind of a didactic way, prophecy can only explain so much. Storytelling is required for the rest. In other words, there are some things that can really only be understood through stories. Things about our maker, our creator, our father God. And so Jesus spends an enormous amount of time telling stories. And in fact, to those who thought otherwise, to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, Jesus said this, you search the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life, and yet you never come to me the one about whom the scriptures speak. In other words, you gather lots of facts. Your heads and hearts are full of facts. But you never have a personal experience with God. You never come to me. In a few weeks, we're going to hear Jesus say this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. The truth isn't a thing. It's not merely a proposition. It's a person. And because of that, stories are crucial to our knowledge of God, to our understanding God. We're going to hear Jesus tell a story today that's intended to help us understand our Father's heart very specifically in our lives. To kind of illustrate the difference between a fact and a story, I can say, and we'll all understand it, I can say this, I can say kids don't really understand what they want. <laughs> and if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know that. You're like, yeah, I see that all the time. But if I tell you a story... You're going to understand it in a different way. So let me share one with you. Josh Weston is a father. He writes about one day when he and his two sons were racing to get into the car. The whole family was going on a trip, and the boys were racing to get in the back seat. And the oldest one, Eric, uh, uh, or the youngest one, Ron, who was four, said, I get the left side, I get the left side. And as soon as the five-year-old heard that, what does he say? No, I want the left side. And they're having an argument about it. Dad said, time out, stop, stop, stop. We're not going to have an argument here. Only one of you can sit on the left side. So he, he says, Eric, you're the oldest by a year, so you get a pick first. Eric says, I want the left side. Ron, no. Dad says, Eric's older. Eric gets to sit on the left side. Argument solved, right? Except there was a moment of silence as mom and dad got in the front seat, and then suddenly they heard Eric say, Dad, 
Which side is the left side? <laughs> and suddenly we feel more deeply this inability to know what we want. Kids, okay, that's important because the story Jesus is going to tell us this morning is going to teach us like that. Because here's what he wants us to understand. That serving God as our father is different than serving him as our boss or our king or our master. And Jesus wants us to understand that God wants us to serve him as father. So there's a little setup for the story he's going to tell. Let's look at Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now, we've learned in the past that a chief tax collector in those days was a mob racketeer. He would extort money with the backing of the army. This is a bad guy. This is a criminal. This is a soprano, for those of you old enough to remember. Zacchaeus. And he, but despite the fact that that's who he was, how he lived, catch this. Zacchaeus was curious about Jesus. You know, almost everybody is. Almost everybody is. Dr. Tom Rainer did a study some years ago, and as part of the study, he asked people if they were curious about Jesus. Over 100,000 people across the country. Guess what percentage said they were curious about Jesus? 91%. Nine out of ten people. Yeah, I really like to kind of know the real deal there with that guy. Zacchaeus is like that. He wanted to see Jesus, but being a short man, and since there was a crowd and they were coming through town, there was only a limited amount of time. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree in order to see him because Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up, saw a middle-aged criminal in a tree trying to see him, and he says something unexpected. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to have dinner with you tonight. I must stay at your house today. Now, in our 21st century Western context, it's hard to grasp the depth and the enormity of what Jesus is saying. But what he's doing in that culture, he, he says, I want to have intimate connection with you. I want to fellowship with you. Going to somebody's house and eating with them was a big deal. It was a, a proclamation of friendship, of fellowship, of affirmation. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I know who you are. I know what you're about. But I see you there in that tree, and I want you to know that I want to get to know you, and I want you to get to know me. Come down, Zacchaeus. I, I, I want to eat at your house tonight. Look, if you're here this morning and you're curious about Jesus, maybe you came with a friend, maybe you just dropped in, know this. Jesus welcomes your curiosity. He wants you to know that you are welcome drawing near to him. He wants you to get to know him. And he will always be extending an opportunity for you to do just that. You say, well, wait a minute. He's not here physically. How can I do that? Well, as we're going to see in a few weeks, Jesus taught when he went to the cross that it was better for him to go away physically because then he could be among us as the Holy Spirit. And he said the good thing about that is the Holy Spirit can be in you, not just next to you. So he says, it's actually a good thing that I'm going away. If you're curious about Jesus and you sit down with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you begin to read and learn about this Jesus, his spirit will speak to you in those moments. He will meet you and talk to you. You'll feel his voice will come from the inside out because it's a spirit. But the same invitation is available today. I grew up in an unchurched home when the first time I sat down to read the Bible. I was like, oh, this is different. 
something else is happening here. I've read a million books, but this is different. And, and so that invitation is still there. And what, what we want to understand from this story is that that's Jesus' heart. If you're curious about him, he wants you to find out about him. And he doesn't say, here, I want you to do A, B, and C before you find out about him. He says, I'll take you as you are. Jesus doesn't say to Zacchaeus, I'm willing to come to your house tonight if you're willing to change your ways, turn your lifestyle, start living differently. If you're willing to recognize that what you've been doing isn't right, he'll say that. He says, you know what? I'll meet you where you are. I'll meet you as you are. That's his heart. Now, not everybody understands that. Matter of fact, look at verse 7. When the people heard Jesus give this invitation to this guy, the Bible says all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know what they were thinking. Well, if he goes there, he's affirming who the guy is. He, he's going to his house like he's his friend. He shouldn't do that. That's wrong. But Jesus does it anyway because the heart of God is greater and bigger and deeper than the hearts of men. And the amazing thing is that just by that moment, the scripture says that Zacchaeus utterly changed his life. Look at verse 8. Look, Lord, Zacchaeus said, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody of anything, yes, he has, and he knows it. If I've cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What brought that change into his life? when he spent some time with Jesus, when he recognized that Jesus wanted him as much as he wanted Jesus, then suddenly everything looked different to him. And suddenly he found within himself the willingness to change in ways that probably a lot of people tried to argue him into instead of fellowshipping him into. A lot of people tried to force him into instead of friendshipping him into. The crowd didn't get it. They're like, he's one of the bad guys. She said, I know, but your way of turning him into a good guy isn't working. Watch me. I'm going to invite him into fellowship. And before you know it, the guy is changing his ways. And Jesus wraps it all up. Look at what he says in verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, so often we hear that and we say, God wants to save the lost. But he said he came to seek and save the lost. And when we know him as he is, we won't just want them to be saved. We'll seek them. Can I challenge you this morning to ask yourself, how many friends have you made who aren't believers, who are outside of the faith, who maybe disagree with you about a lot of things? Do you ever make friends? Do you ever invite them into fellowship with you? Lots of people don't. In fact, lots of people think the definition of being spiritual is that we don't have anything to do with them. Jesus says, absolutely not true. I am going the opposite direction from that mindset. You know, when Rhonda and I were new believers, we grew up in unchurched homes, so we became believers after we got married. And so when we came to church, everything was new. There was a ton of stuff we didn't know about right and wrong, about good and bad. And nobody met me at the door and said, you need to change this, that, and the other thing before you can come in here. Instead, they looked around and they said, oh, we're going to make friends with that young couple. We're going to let them into our lives. We're going to step into their lives. We're going to spend time with them, go to the game, have lunch, mess around at the park. We're just going to spend time with them. And we're going to create space and time for them to learn. 
Church, we become healthy as a community of Christ as we create space and time for people who are curious about Jesus to get to know him and let him change their minds. That's what Jesus is about. And the more we know him, the more we'll do the same thing. Instead of looking around and cataloging all the wrong beliefs and ideas that everybody around us has, instead we'll say, hey, come sit with me. Let's learn together and watch Jesus change their minds. Watch Jesus change their hearts. This chief tax player would have spent the rest of his life being a criminal if he hadn't discovered that God wanted a relationship with him even before he got his act together. What did Pastor Weston share with us at the end of worship? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. Jesus is demonstrating that in this moment. But lots of people have their hearts and minds focused elsewhere. We see that in verse 7. And then we'll see it in the story that Jesus is going to tell. So let's keep moving. Look at verse 11 of chapter 19. While they were listening to this, so while this was happening and Zacchaeus was responding and Jesus was teaching what he was doing and all that, while this was happening, he went on to tell them a parable, a story. And he does it, church, for a very specific reason. It's crucial for us to grasp. Look at what your Bible says. He went on to tell them a parable because they thought the kingdom was going to appear at once. Now, let me give you a little background. Jesus openly said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one you're looking for. But we saw last week that as he turned towards Jerusalem, he said to his disciples, and anybody willing to listen, I'm going there to be crucified. I'm going there to be rejected, mocked, ridiculed, spit on. The whole night we read it last week. He says, I'm actually going there to be killed. I'm going to be unjustly murdered by the government. He says, but don't panic, because after that I'm going to rise again. We're going to get on with this whole thing. But the crowds had a different idea of who Messiah should be. They expected that when Jesus went to Jerusalem, if he's the Messiah, he's going to throw out the bad guys, defeat the Romans, restore independence to Israel. They got excited. Look, he's going to Jerusalem. We know that the Messiah is going to go to Jerusalem and bring about this new kingdom. Wow, he's going to crush the Romans. Yay, let's go with him. This can be awesome, but... Jesus, hearing and seeing that expectation in their hearts, says, oh, man, you're missing it. I just told you this. I've told you this several times. Let me tell you again in a story that that's not what this is about. The kingdom I'm building doesn't have to do with headlines. It has to do with hearts. It has to do with what's going on inside of you more than what's going on around you. And so he tells a story. Because they thought the kingdom was going to appear at once, Here's what he said. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. <laughs> we know with hindsight what he's talking about. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified. He's going to go away and then come back again, the second coming. Yeah, Jesus is talking about himself, but, you know, he's, let's put it in the context of a story. So he called ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas. A mina is an amount of money. So he distributed his possessions among them. And he said, put this money to work until I come back. In other words, do, do good with this money. Cause it to grow. Use it the way 
you know I would want it to be used so that when I come back, you, my servants, can share with me what you have achieved knowing who I am. Now, interestingly, unlike Matthew's gospel, so Matthew chapter 25 has the parable of the talents. In that story, Jesus gives one servant ten talents, one servant five, another one just one. Jesus was always telling these stories. Don't think that he told each of these ones. Scholars tell us he traveled around and repeated these stories wherever he went. He had a curriculum, so to speak. That's why in your uh, gospels you'll see slightly different versions of the stories because Jesus, you know, would tweak details. Here, the detail he tweaks is not, each servant isn't given a variable amount. They're all given one. That's important. We're going to come back to why. And he has an expectation that they will put his money to work. In other words, this story is about the master entrusting things to his servant. And here's what we want to grasp. Here's what Jesus wants us to grasp. Church, everything that you and me have, time, talents, wealth, opportunities, prerogatives, authority, giftedness, Everything we have has been given to us as a trust. Let that sink in for a moment. Because when we miss that, everything looks different. But God says that everything we have has been given to us by him as a trust. Here's the way Paul puts it over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, what do you have, Greg, that you didn't receive? I gave you your life. I gave you your hands, your legs, your arms, your brain. I gave you that ridiculous mustache you're wearing for the month of November. I gave it all to you, right? I gave it to you. Everything you have, Greg, has been entrusted to you. Now, there's a reason why it's been entrusted to us. Because through entrusting things to us, God sets out to parent us. Only when we recognize that what we have has been given to us, are we able to cooperate with and submit to his parenting in our lives? That's the basis of the story. So let's go on. Verse 14, Jesus says, but his subjects, now notice, his subjects, not his servants. There's two groups of people in this story. There's the subjects of the kingdom, which is a reference to his Jewish brothers and sisters in Israel. And then there's the servants who are serving him personally. And Jesus, knowing that the Jews are going to reject him, because he's not the Messiah they want. Knowing that in just a matter of a few weeks, they're going to say, Jesus, we don't want you as Messiah. Give us Barabbas. Give us an action hero who will fight the Romans. Knowing that that's their expectation, Jesus tells this story about them. His subjects, he says, hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Give us Barabbas. As servants of God, you and I live in a world that doesn't want to serve him, but that's not our concern. Our concern is what he's doing in us with what he entrusts to us. The Lord goes on. He says, he was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. And here's where it gets interesting. Verse 16, the first servant came and said, Sir your mina has gained 10 more. I profited your investment 10 times. Here, I made 10 times more than you gave me. Don't you just hate people like that? Right? 
you know, I, I go down to Jazz Alley with my wife a couple years ago. Some friends invited us to have a dinner, and we go down there to hear a certain trio play jazz. They were awesome. And the leader of the trio was a 12-year-old. <laughs> he leads a worldwide jazz trio. I said, I hate that kid. I mean, <laughs> what? Right? Look, church, we've got to understand that, that there are people with great gifts and talents, and they may be greater than ours. You know, If we don't accept that, we can end up in a bad place that we're going to talk about in a moment. But that's the reality. Some people have more opportunities, more gifts, more talents. You know, maybe this servant worked harder than all the rest, but the story doesn't say that. It just says that somehow he ended up with 10 times what he was given. Maybe it was just good uh, fortune. Maybe it was just better opportunities. Maybe this servant was born in the first world and the other servants were born in the third world and didn't have the opportunities. I don't know what it was. But that's actually not the point. Instead, the point comes clear in the very next servant's experience. To this servant, verse 17, the master says, Well done, because you've been trustworthy in a small matter. Take charge of ten cities. That's awesome. That's great. Well done. You got the point. You know why I gave it to you. You're obviously rolling. Let's keep rolling in that direction. The next servant comes, verses 18 and 19, and he said, Sir, your mina has earned five more, not ten. Five. But his master answers the same way. Good job. Here, take charge of five cities. Keep moving. Keep growing. See, here, church, here's what we've got to understand. When God entrusts things to you, it's not a competition. It's an invitation to be parented by him personally. And the success that you achieve, the progress that you make, isn't measured against somebody else's. It's just about God parenting you. And the, more you, the sooner you and I grasp that and recognize that, the healthier we become. We stop looking at everybody else and we start saying, God, what do you want to do in my heart through what you've entrusted to me? Well done, good servant. Your mina has earned five more. Great. You're moving in the right direction. Church, understand, this is a father's heart. See, sometimes we fall in the trap of thinking that God is in authority over us as a sort of CEO in the sky seeking to accomplish things. And he wants us to get on board with his program so that we can accomplish his ends. But it's a little bit different than that. Instead, God is a father seeking to parent us as individuals. He doesn't need us to get the stuff done. He can do that. But what he does want to do is grow me up as his son, grow you up as his daughter. What he does want to do is parent you. And when we grasp this, when we understand that it's not how we're doing compared to everybody else, but how we're being parented and submitting and cooperating with that, then we grasp what our Father is really about. George MacDonald captured this beautifully when he said this, famous quote, a good one for you to know. He says, God is hard to satisfy. He has very high ambitions for us. He expects more of us than we think we can achieve. The Bible says that we are destined to be transformed into the image of his son. His agenda is to make you and me like Jesus, saints in the world, living a holy mission. The agenda is high. He's hard to satisfy. But at the same time, because he's a father, it's incredibly easy to please. 
the slightest movement in the right direction, the slightest cooperation, he celebrates. Why? Because he's a father. This is how you are with your kids, right? You have high agendas for them. You want them to, to become people of character. You want them to make a difference in the world. You want them to have good relationships. But the slightest movement in those directions, you celebrate. You rejoice in it. And you need to know, we need to know, that's how God parents us. So he gives us stuff, he entrusts us to, we get intimidated, oh God, I don't want to fail. He says, no, you're not going to fail here. He says, what I want you to do is embrace this opportunity to use what I've entrusted to you for my ends, for my purposes, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to grow you through this. And what this is about is me parenting you. You know, I remember when our son Isaiah was little, uh, gosh, about five years old, I think, and it was time for to teach him how to ride a bicycle, but he didn't want to learn how to ride a bicycle. He, we took the training wheels off, suddenly it was a different ball game, and suddenly he was frustrated. And, you know, we had this epic Saturday confrontation when I said, son, you can and will learn. He believed he couldn't learn how to ride the bike. What do I know as a dad? Of course he can learn how to ride the bike. So I'm not willing to let him off the hook. I'm hard to satisfy. The agenda here is you're going to ride the bike. But each time he tried, even when he crashed, what am I saying? All right, all right, great job. Good job. Let's try again. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that's how God is with us. You know, there came a moment in that epic Saturday confrontation that lives in our family's memory. This five-year-old got so mad that he grabbed that little bike of his, spun around twice, and chucked it into the neighbor's yard. <laughs> I'm not doing this. You know what I mean? Sign of things to come later in life. But anyway, even when he did that, Two things did not change. One was my expectation. Yes, you can ride the bike. I know you better than you know me. And the other thing that changed, uh, didn't change, was my willingness to be pleased with the slightest, smallest effort. So after fits and battles and blah, 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 when he got back on and tried again, I was thrilled. And that's how God wants you to know he is with you. Yeah, the standard's high. The calling is high, holiness, saintliness, Christ-likeness. But any movement in that direction pleases him. Jesus wants us to grasp that in this story. That's why he talks about the two servants differently. But then there's the third servant, and the third servant is a different ballgame entirely. Look at verse 20. The third servant comes and says, Sir, here's your mina. Here's what you entrusted to me. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. Translation, I've done nothing with it. I buried it in the backyard. Put it under the bed. Here it is. I'm giving it back to you. Why? I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. First of all, that's a lie. Nothing could be further from the truth. We've already seen how generous and gracious the master was. This guy says, I've convinced myself that you're a hard man. And then, he's, then he reveals his wickedness by what he accuses the master of, which is exactly the opposite of what we've already seen the master to be. He says, you take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. No, he doesn't. He does exactly the opposite. He grabs a bunch of servants and he says, here, I'm giving you stuff. I'm going to put into you something. And if you achieve a lot with it, glory. If you achieve only a little with it, that's good too. We're going to keep moving. 
what this third servant is accusing God of is exactly the opposite of what's real. Lots of people are like this today. You know, they have families, they have jobs, they have homes, they have blessings, they have health. But all they ever really do is complain about and accuse God for the things they don't have or don't uh, yet experience. They never give thanks for all they've been given. Instead, they just complain to God about what they don't have. That kind of entitlement in our kids, we would never be okay with that. And this servant, God's not okay with it as a father. What he's saying, the accusation he's saying is completely false. So the master replied, I'll judge you by your own words. If really this is about what you believe about me, you knew I'm a hard man, then why didn't you at least put the money on deposit? I mean, that wouldn't have taken anything. I at least would have got interest here in 2023. I think you can get like 0.2% interest on your savings account. But it was something, right? The implication in this story is if this guy would have come back and said, you know what, I was, gosh, I had neurotic issues, and so I just put your money on deposit, and I, I got 1% interest on it. The master would have said, well, hey, all right, let's keep growing. Let's keep going. It's not about how much. It's just a matter of whether you're in the game or not. Whether, whether you're cooperating with my fathering or not, my leadership. And then he said to those standing nearby, take his mind away from him and give it to the one who has 10. Discipline him in the hopes that he'll repent and change his mind. The people, they don't get it because they think it's about the comparison. So they replied, he already has 10. The master replies, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given than the one who has, uh, but as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken. Why? Church, this is where we kind of wrap this up. What this story is about is the danger of self-pity. You know, once we become entitled, the very next step is we start feeling sorry for ourselves. Oh, yeah, I got all this, but I don't have that. You know, we never stop to think. We have kind of a saying around our house right now. It started about a year ago. We say, man, things are tough, but at least we're not getting shelled in Ukraine. (laughs) Things are tough but at least I'm not getting hunted in Myanmar. Things are tough, but I'm not starving in the Sudan. And it has a way of really changing your perspective. But if you choose instead to just be entitled, to not recognize that you've been entrusted with so much, then you end up in this self-pity trap, and it's an ugly one. It leads to this third servant's behavior, and that's a dead end. But here's the beautiful thing. When Jesus tells the story, here's what he wants us to grasp. Yeah, I got high standards for you, Greg. I expect a lot. I'm hard to satisfy. But I am so easy to please. So will you take what I've been given and put it to work? The best you can, whatever way you can. Will you get out there and give it a shot? Will you cooperate with me? Will you say, I'm going to try and help God seek and save the lost with what I have. I'm going to invite some people into my life who are not us yet. I'm going I'm to try and see how I can take the gifts I've been given and use them to somehow help and bless and serve other people. Each time we do that, God says, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. He said, well, I didn't do a very good job. He says, no, 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 you didn't earn 10 minus, but you earned five. You didn't earn five, but you got interest on one. <laughs> yeah, you're doing all right. Let's keep going. Understand again as we wrap up, whatever you have is a tool God wants to use to parent you. The question is, will you let that happen? 
will you own it? When we do, we step into the life that God has for us. Now, let me, let, let me finish with a story this morning. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to have one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, I think it's the 10th of December. I know it's the 10th of December. We will have the kids' Christmas program on Sunday morning here, right? So we'll grab all these kids. I got 250 kids in Children's Church. A bunch of them will be part of that program. And they will come in here, and it will be great. It will be awesome. It won't be great acting. <laughs> Lines will be missed, right? Cues will be forgotten. Kids will say and do silly things, right? Somebody will take off their shirt. A couple years ago, a kid vomited on the platform. I mean, stuff's going to happen, right? During the kids, it's, it's going to, right? And we're going to sit out there and we're going to love it. Oh, this is so awesome. Why? Because we're parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. And so everything looks different. Everything looks different to us. We, we, we won't go home and go, if they would have got the choreography in that program together a little better, it would have been more spiritual. <laughs> We're not going to do that. We're going to go, did you see that one little girl with her finger up her nose? Was that awesome? <laughs> did you see that one little kid whose hair was going different directions? Did you see the one who didn't sing? Did you see my little girl? Did you see my boy? Did you see him? And I remember... <laughs> I remember years of Isaiah being in the kids' program, and, you know, one year he's singing, but he's got the wrong song. Never forget that, right? Another year he's just standing there, you know, in terror. And we're like, this is so awesome. Because we see with the eyes of parents. And if we don't understand that what God's entrusted us is him parenting us, we end up feeling sorry for ourselves, discouraged, turning sour yeah but if we just know that yeah he's hard to satisfy but he's easy to please it's a whole different ballgame and that's what Jesus wants you and me to grasp would you bow your heads with me close your eyes God we thank you for your word this morning Jesus thank you for telling us stories that go deeper than just you know making statements instead you step right into our hearts and you, you're saying to us this morning that Hey, Greg, it's not really about the headlines. It's about me parenting you. It's about the gifts I've entrusted to you. And I just want you to try. Because when you try, you're going to learn, you're going to grow. And that's what this is about. God, help us to hear you this morning. Some of us need to do that. We really do. We need to recognize that what you've given us is your parenting tool in our lives. Teach us to submit to that. We pray. God, some of us are not yet yours. We're just curious about you. Help them this morning to understand that you welcome that curiosity. And you want them to know you. And you're willing to have dinner with them tonight. They'll sit down with your living word, God. Yeah. We thank you this morning, Jesus, for teaching us. We pray it in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Yeah. Hard to satisfy, but easy to please. I love that. Now may the love of God the Father the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.